I miss a green, for example, I'm already upset. When I find my ball in the bunker, I'm really upset. And when I find my ball in a fried egg. Fried egg. The dreaded fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg lie, I'm about ready to run off the golf course. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another edition of the Fried Egg Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Web.com Tour player Ed Lore. Ed played college golf at Oklahoma State, where he was an All-American and Walker Cupper, and since turning pro, has spent time on almost every tour in the world. Ed, welcome on. Thanks, Andy. It's good to be with you this morning, and uh, yes, you uh, gave me an apt description of pretty much played about anywhere you could ever come up with <laughs> yeah this uh this year you're you're full-time on the web you've gotten off to a great start you had a t-second in in uh panama and a t-20th in Colombia. what would you say is uh the difference playing abroad versus playing on home turf in in uh the united states um that's a good question um I would say the biggest deal, well, logistics is the biggest problem. Um, you know, just kind of trying to figure out how to get there, where to stay, how to get to the golf course. Um, you know, they take very good care of us while we're down there, but, uh, you know, just kind of figuring out your bearings. And luckily, both those places I've been to enough to where it's, for me, it's just kind of a a normal week. Like, I know where to stay. I know where to eat. I know how to get around. So, you know, maybe I got a little bit of an advantage when we leave the country. And, you know, for a guy that's played in 29 countries, it's not really that big of a deal for me. So, of all the 29 countries that you've played in, what's been your kind of, like, favorite one that you'd like to maybe spend time outside of golfing at? And what's been your least favorite place? Um, I would say my favorite... Uh, just from a country place, I think it's uh, probably Spain. I've been there a few times for European tour school, and I just I just love just the history and the architecture and kind of the beauty of it. Um, but, you know, I'm there for golf, so uh, I did spend a couple of days in Barcelona a couple of years ago, but I haven't got to spend a whole lot of time outside of playing golf. But I think that's an incredible place. And then... Uh, my least favorite uh, would be India. I just never, I never jived with it. The people were super nice, but I always, I always seem to get sick there, so I never really jived with India. <laughs> That's, uh, yeah, it's, I mean, it's crazy how, you know, 29 countries and just how the European tour has turned into a world tour. Um, I know you've tried a number of times. You had a T-second in a Euro tour start. Is there a big difference between playing in Europe versus playing on like uh, the American tour, like the PGA tour? Um, I think that just the depth of players, um, you know, certainly the European tour is a great tour. I don't, I would never say it's not, um, you know, the, the deal with that tour is how often do you get their top players playing there? I mean, a majority of them play over here now. So, 
you've only got, you know, a handful of events, you know, maybe one or two in the desert and then, you know, their BMW championship and one or two other where their top flight players are all playing. So, you know, it gives a lot of opportunity for, for other players to, you know, kind of make an impact. Whereas, you know, week to week on the PGA tour, it's, you know, murderers row of people playing. <laughs> That's a, we saw, you know, Brooks Kepka make his way to the PGA tour through the, the European tour, his younger brother's doing that now, but then you've got like Sean Crocker is another guy that's played really well. The first couple starts this year over there S- seems to be a new path that a lot of young players are, are going on. If you, you know, you turn pro in 2000 and if you redid that and started over today, would you, would that be something that you considered doing? Uh, 100%. You know, I, I inadvertently kind of almost tried to do that by playing, on the, you know, I played the Asian tour mainly just because I kept failing at Q school. But, uh, you know, I had some chances to play in Europe. Uh, you know, I would have had my card one year if I would have paid my affiliate fee, but that's a whole other story about you know, paying the five grand. And, uh, but I think it's a great idea for young guys, for anybody, really. Um, heck, I tried it last year. So, uh, you know, there's only so many jobs in golf. Um, so I would encourage anybody to really go do it. Mm-hmm. So kind of going into people that might not be as familiar with you and your background, how did you get into golf as a kid? Uh, through my dad. My dad was a really good player. Played a couple of years at University of Colorado, and then played some Space Coast Tour in the in Florida in the late '60s, early '70s. So, and then he just stayed connected to golf. He got into uh, the pharmacy business, but he always, you know, played golf and was a plus handicap till his mid 40s. So, kind of started out as a family thing. My younger brother is a really good player. Played at SMU and then tried to play for a little bit, but. Um, so we just kind of started out as that. And then obviously I kind of had an affinity for it. Um, and then, you know, my parents were well enough off and my dad had a good plan for us, you know, to try to figure out how to, you know, for us to learn to compete and play a bunch of tournaments and, uh, just kind of took off from there. Mm-hmm. So did you, you grew up in Dallas. where did you grow up playing down there? Uh, I'm actually from the suburbs. Oh. I live in a town called Rockwall, so just east of town. But mm-hmm. I grew up playing in a place called the Shores Country Club, just a nice little you know residential club out here uh, east of town. And then uh, you know I've got a couple of memberships around town now at different places, Lakewood Country Club, and then uh, actually the Shores now is called the Rockwall Golf and Athletic Club. So still you know get to play kind of around town a lot. So watching the young kids today with like the, how, how do you think like, you know, development from, you know, junior golf to college golf to pro golf has changed from, you know, when you were doing it in the late nineties to, you know, how kids are doing it now. It's, it's obviously, it's so different now. You know, when I, when I first, when I first kind of came out, you know, it was kind of your, your roadmap was you know, go to Q school, hopefully you make it. But if you don't, you just kind of work your way up, keep trying, 
work your way up some more. Now it's like the guys are so good, so young. You know, it's like they just come out and they just know they're they're going to succeed right off the bat. And so it's I don't know if that's a you know kind of a mentality they learned from Tiger. Uh, whereas I was competing against Tiger. Uh, man, these kids are so good, so young. Obviously, the the everything's gotten better. The the instruction's gotten better. The technology's gotten better. The workouts have gotten better. Nutrition. So it's you know it's just a way different playing field now. Mm-hmm. It's uh, I mean, it, it, I see it in amateur stuff. I play with like fourteen year olds who are hitting the ball like two eighty, and I think back to like. <laughs> Like I, if I got it out there like two twenty, two forty when I was fourteen, I was like, "Wow, I pumped that one." Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, all these guys now, um, you know, all these twenty-five-year-olds that I play with on the web tour, and it's just, you know, I mean, I still hit it. You know, I'm above average. You know, I'm probably a two ninety-five to three hundred-yard hitter, so I still hit it plenty far. But I mean, you just hit these kids, and it's just like. I mean, you can obviously tell when the ball comes off the face. <laughs> Good Lord, is that thing ever going to come down? Yeah. Um, so in, in your years with pro golf, like, how is your perception of, you know, getting prepared or, you know, just in general of, of golf? How has it changed um, through your, you know, triumphs and then also the low points? Um. I mean, I still love it. I, I obviously still love it, or else I wouldn't be doing it. Um, I would say a ball beater. Um, you know, I love to play more than I love to practice. Um, I always look forward to Thursdays, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. You know, are more of a drag now. You know, the the travel and the practice rounds and all the other stuff. But you know, once Thursday comes along, I'm still you know, I'm still as eager as I've ever been. And, uh, you know, hopefully I will continue to be that way. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be the, that'd be a bad sign if you're not like ready to go. You know, that's when, uh, when it's, yeah, that's, that'd be, that's about, that's when, you know, it's time to do. And that's what you hear a lot of people say is when you don't get those butterflies, you know, it's kind of time to do something else, but mm-hmm. you know, I still get them. I still get nervous. You know, I still get anxious, but, uh, I, I think that just means that you really still love it. So you played on the 1999 Walker Cup team and, you know, Matt Kuchar, Jonathan Bird, you, and, you know, you guys are the only three that are left um, playing pro golf. Like, do you keep in touch with the guys that uh, from that team still? Uh, a couple of them. Well, I mean, I see those guys. I saw Jay Bird, a, you know, a few times, I guess, last year when he was playing back down the web. You know, I'll run into Kuchar every now and then and say hello. But uh, let's see, Hunter Haas, I still see around town because he lives here. Um, but other than that, um, let's see, I used to run into David Gossett, you know, on some many, doing some mini tour stuff back when he was still trying to play a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe a couple Twitter interactions with Steve Scott. I see he's a high flute and head pro now up on the East Coast somewhere. Uh, but other than that, not really. That's mm-hmm. about it. Yeah. Of uh, of the guys that were on that team, I mean, you guys did have like four uh, or three mid-ams on that team. Right. And, uh, but of the guys 
who are, are you kind of most surprised didn't make it of like, you know, the Hunter Haas, the Gossett or Steve? Um, you know, probably David, just, just the way his career started, you know, winning the John Deere basically what one or two years into his pro career. And then, you know, kind of, that was the, obviously the peak of it. And then just 10 or 12 years of, for him, you know, fighting it. But, uh, you know, I think having done it so long, I know how hard it is. So nothing really surprises me either way, guys that do great or guys that don't, because it's such a fine line. And, you know, there's so many variables to a successful career that, you know, who knows how the ball's really going to bounce for anybody. Yeah, that's, I mean, the difference between a T8 and a, a win can be just, the smallest, you know, it could be a bounce off a car path or a sprinkler. Yeah, absolutely. Or maybe it's a, you know, it's an eight foot par putt on Thursday morning that keeps around going. And all of a sudden you shoot, you know, three shots lower than you should have. It's, it's, and obviously that stuff's hard to tell over the course of a week when a guy gets in contention, but you know, that really is kind of how close or like you said, it's a, you know, ball hits a car path and kicks left and goes back in the fairway instead of kicking right and going out of bounds. So it's, you know, that's how close it is. What what would you say is the biggest misconception from like, a, you know, just a say you meet somebody at a bar to what your job is? Oh, how fun it is. <laughs> how cool it is to be a pro golfer. I mean, it's while it's while it's partly correct cuz yes, it is cool to play golf for a living. There's obviously so much there's so much more to it. There's a lot more downside than, you know, the guys that you see on TV. You know, you're watching the top 15 guys in the world every week try to win a million dollars versus the, you know, hundreds or thousands of us that are, you know, trying to figure out how to make money who are, you know, those guys are only marginally better than the rest of us. But uh, obviously that that marginal difference is the difference between making you know, 15 million a year and then barely being able to keep the lights on. Yes. It's like a half a shot here and half shot there makes all the difference. There it is. It's a 10 footer there, uh, you know, up and down here. So it's just way closer than, you know, most people realize. How has your kind of game changed over the years? Is it, it, are you a, a different player now than when you were fresh out of college? Yes, I, I mean, I would hope so. <laughs> you know, I was always really aggressive. Uh, probably took a lot more chances than I ever needed to. Um, I think the last couple of years, really after after 2014 and the last year I had my card and I really had a, just a horrible year and kind of took a new path on trying to rebuild my game. And um, I, now I try to play a lot more I don't know if I'd call it conservative, but a lot, you know, a lot more percentage wise and, uh, try to play a lot smarter because if I, not, not that I figured it out, but just kind of over the years that I've always made a lot of birdies, but I've always made a lot of bogeys and that, you know, the guys that do, do well over a long period of time, it's not how many birdies they make. It's just that they kind of figure out how to limit their errors. So that's kind of what I've tried to start doing. Yeah, I talked to an agent once, and they said that uh, they always look 
for guys that make a lot of birdies because you can coach away bogeys eventually, but <laughs> you yeah, can't I you mean, can't teach so. birdies. I mean, that's, yeah, it is. I mean, and and when you get on tour, it's such a different game than you know even the web tour or certainly the mini tours. Is I mean that's more of a birdie game. Uh, you know when you're having to shoot sub twenty under, uh, you know versus the big tour and you know it's uh, most most of the weeks it's you know 10 to 15 under that's a way different game than 24 under so it's i think that's an adjustment but it's also you know more so because of the courses that you're playing do you think that like i something i've wondered for a long time is is the web is such a different tour in the sense of scoring like you just pointed out do you think that ends up resulting the best in the best tour players like web success for like the PGA uh, tour? I, not necessarily. I, I, no, I don't. And I wish, you know, and obviously the web tour knows that. And, and I think they try to find stronger golf courses, but you know, the fact is they have a lot of these longstanding relationships with tournaments and, and, uh, you know, they've been there like, Boise, for instance, as I've always thought, it's the best tournament on the schedule, but it's, you know, one of the weakest golf courses because it's a, you know, it's a driver, a hybrid, and a one of your wedges every hole. Um, so it's, you know, they kind of fight an uphill battle with that, but uh, I don't know how well it translates to all of a sudden you go to hitting six and seven irons. You know, I think your average second shot on tour is in the 175 range. I would guess on the web tour you know the kids probably in the 140 range so you know that's a huge difference it it seems like to me just watching the scoring and not having seen a lot of the courses that the courses in like central and uh, central america and latin america are, are usually a little bit tougher and closer to like pga tour scoring there's no doubt i mean look at this year uh you know what, Langley won at seven under in Panama. You know, the Bahamas weren't that bad, I mean, mostly because of the wind. Uh, you know, last week, Taylor shot really low, but other than that, you know, he was the only guy in double digits. Um, you know, a lot of that's obviously with the conditions. Um, you know, it tends to get windy those in those countries. Um, you know, the greens were really small and firm, which I think a lot of us would like to see every week. Um yeah, when you get here, I call it a lot of country club golf. You play a lot of nice country club courses, but obviously you put really good players on country club courses, and what are they? You know, they're going to shoot twenty five under. So, yeah, you're right. So, if you were going to set up a uh, a golf course to to test modern day professional, how how would you set it up in terms of to get the best best competition? Oh man, that's a tough one. <laughs> Because, <laughs> you know, really using today's equipment, it's going to be so hard. But, you know, I know you guys are way big in the golf course architecture. But, you know, the things that, that give guys trouble, in my opinion, are are when you make them have to curve the ball off the tee. Um, you know, obviously firm greens. You know, they do a great job of hiding pins already. Um I mean, I remember, up. Uh, let's see, a couple of the U.S. Opens I played, and, and uh, you know, the hardest holes weren't necessarily the longest ones. It was ones that maybe you had to 
curve a ball 10 or 20 yards. So that seems to be the biggest thing. You know, you look at Riviera last week. I mean, I know they've stretched it out, but you've got a lot of dog legs where guys kind of have to move the ball. And, and, you know, it's hard with the balls and the clubs, uh, you know, really to get a ball to curve. So in my opinion, that's the hardest. That's how you're going to create the hardest conditions. That's something I've wanted to do like a a post about is like if you look back at like Tiger's most famous shots and like just the most famous shot, like the most memorable shots in golf for like, you know, in the early 2000s and 90s were all like recovery shots where, you know, he, he curved a ball like, you know, out of the rough and, you know, and turned it 30 yards. And today, like the most famous shots are just like, Dustin Johnson hitting like a driver that doesn't move an inch right down the middle of the fairway. <laughs> well, it's funny you say that because like when I tell people the biggest difference I've seen in golf is that, you know, when I used to watch golf when I was a kid and, you know, you'd turn on the Buick Classic at Warwick Hills and some guy's nursing a one-shot lead and, you know, he takes his persimmon three-wood and hits his you know, hits a squeeze fade off the last hole to try to get it in play. And now it's like you see a guy with a one-shot lead, and what does he do? He tees his driver as high as he can and tries to hit it 350. And so, you know, that's kind of the biggest thing that I've seen is that there's no fear, but and there's not there's a lot less creativity. And I think that's just because of a lot of the, you know, the equipment and the training. But, you know, I do agree. And, I mean, if I – if I counted off the top 10 best shots I've probably ever hit in my life, you know, seven or eight of them are probably crazy shots that I've hit out of the woods, you know, because mm-hmm. those are the ones you remember. I mean, you remember the, you remember the 50 yard slice you hit with a three wood onto the green. And, you know, that's obviously way more memorable than just, Oh, I hit one three ten down the middle, you know? Yeah. And then with today, like if you put the ball in the rough with today's equipment, it's like so hard to move a ball. Yeah, no doubt. It's hard. Yeah, it's hard to move a ball, you know, uh, yeah, obviously from the fairway and much less put some grass interference in there. Then you're really going to have a hard time getting it to go anywhere. It's I have kind of a theory that like the golf swing has changed a little bit because of technology. Would you I mean, would you agree with that? No doubt it has. It's way less. uh, Well, I think it's way less uh, dependent on your hand action, which is probably good. Um, (laughs) Yeah. But obviously that takes probably some of the creativity out. And now guys are are just, uh, you know, smashing it every time. Yeah, that's, I, I kind of think, like, I, I, I've, like, half written an article about this. But, like, the, you know, there's so much success with the young 20-year-olds now because they grew up with this golf swing and technology. So I agree. And I don't, you know, they weren't taught. You know, when they grew up, they were they practice with the track man. They practice, you know, basically hitting it as hard as they can. Um, and the technology and everything they grew up with, it doesn't really allow it to curve. So I, I agree 100%. So with, uh, getting back to kind of your experience all over the world, um, you know, you hear a lot of tales of caddies and, and, um, and, central and latin america and south america and you know where what's been the worst caddy that you've had across the world <laughs> i had a guy in uh 
I had a guy in uh, where was I? Brazil a couple of years ago during a, and I did I actually ended up getting rid of him, getting rid of him after the practice round. But uh, unlike the fifteenth hole in the practice round, he cracked open a beer. So you know that kind of told me that he probably wasn't gonna be real serious about what he was doing. So I had to go find another one. But uh, I think that's the only time I've really had to fire a guy before the round, but. You know, yeah. you never know. I've had some, you know, a lot of the best caddies I had were these ladies when I was playing the Asian tour just with the pool cart. And, you know, they didn't speak a lick of English, but they did exactly what they were supposed to do. <laughs> so uh, speaking of, you know, you, you you made it really big when you were using the push cart on the Adams tour, you know, and uh, <laughs> a mutual friend, Todd Mitchell, is so anti-push cart. Do you, do you uh, think that the push card uh, helps you on the golf course? <laughs> well, I will have to admit, Andy, that I was like Mr. Anti-Push Cart as well until actually I was playing a uh, I was playing an Adams event in St. Louis a couple years ago, and I I thought I was going to die. It was so hot, so I went to a Dick Sporting Good and bought a floor model push cart. And now I don't know. I'm like now I just think I'm so dumb for you know going so long without using one. But you know it just kind of. I'm one of those guys. I played so much golf, really just relying on myself. I mean I just think your self reliance, you know, is a lot more when you have a push cart. <laughs> Plus you got nobody to blame but yourself. So, but I love them now. Yeah. I have to admit. I'm I'm on team push cart too. I used to be a big carrier and I always would carry, but like now I think it's so dumb. It's like you play the sport where you depend on your like shoulders a lot in the golf yeah. swing. Like why it's would so you... dumb? Yeah, it's so and on these college tournaments where we used to carry thirty six a day and man, I mean obviously we were twenty then, but still I I I, I can't believe how much fresher I feel now after just using the old pusher. Yeah, it's I it, it, Todd told was complaining that you have to walk around a green no. the one time he used it, and I was I like, mean, "Let's let's be honest, Mitchell doesn't play any tournaments where he doesn't have a caddy anyway. So what does he really know?" <laughs> that's that's what I'm saying. Everybody's like, "You should take a caddy." It's like I'm not paying for a caddy. I got, I'm a I'm a <laughs> I'm an internet blogger. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so. It's uh yeah the uh the push card is I I think and I think I've I've heard I think I think it might have been UNLV's coach says that they statistically prove that it saved like a shot or a half a shot around yeah uh, yeah I think actually it was Conrad Ray at uh, Stanford yeah it, it, I mean it, anybody that is trying to play tournament golf and throwing a bag on their shoulders all the time like you there's there's no way you can't say that it helps you to have fresher body when you're playing. I agree. You just got to feel way better, but at the end of the day, there's no doubt. So you've got uh, triplets. I imagine that that adds a little bit of uh, challenge to the playing all over the world. When you when you had kids, when you found out it was triplets, was there a, was there a moment where you said, oh, shit? Um. Well, honestly, Andy, there's not a day that goes by that I don't say, oh, shit. <laughs> uh, but, you know, 
it's funny. I really played probably some of my best golf right after they were born. And, and you know, I think that's just kind of, you know, they kind of added a, a real perspective to life of, you know, how stupid golf is compared to, you know, being a dad to three little kids. So, you know, they obviously offer that to me, but, you know, there's definitely pressure. I mean, you know, I don't know if anybody told me how expensive kids were when I, before I had them, but good Lord, man, you just can't, you can't make enough money. It seems like, but, uh, you know, they're the apple of my eye. Uh, you know, they're kind of the reason I play and, I just, you know, I love them to death, really. I think perspective with golf is so important. I thought about trying to play for a little bit, and then you start, like, I started working, and then all of a sudden I'd go out and play, like, say, a year after, and, like, I played so much better because I realized how insignificant little things in golf are. Yeah, I mean, the first year that I got my tour card was the end of 2011, and it was my my 12th try through Q school. And, you know, my kids were born in September. And, you know, it obviously had something to do with it. I mean, I, I brought, I got to bring my, let's see. Yeah, I got to bring my daughter home. You know, they were kind of in the NICU and then the special care nursery at the hospital. I mean, I brought my daughter home after the third round of second stage of Q school. So, you know, if you think that doesn't make me more relaxed, I'm like, well, this is pretty, this is way more awesome than, you know, trying to shoot 68 at Craig Ranch tomorrow. I mean, this is, this is obviously way more important. So, <laughs> you know, there's no doubt in my mind that, I, that that had something to do with me, you know, finally getting through on my 12th try. Getting, getting three right off the bat's got to be just like uh, being thrown into like a, being an NFL quarterback and seeing like a, an, an eight-man blitz well you just you know I, I i think at this point we're actually lucky that uh you know we didn't have one beforehand and we knew how hard one was we just kind of did it with three you know all these people are like oh, i don't know how you did three i'm like well that's all we knew and, you know but now it's now i actually prefer it because at least my kids are all doing the same thing now i think about you know i mean my parents had four kids and they were all kind of spaced two or three years apart or, you know, all these friends I know that have them spaced apart. I'm like, man, you know, at least I get to sleep. I don't have a, you know, an eight, six and a, you know, a one-year-old that still doesn't sleep. So I, I wouldn't obviously trade it for the world. Really. Yeah, I guess that is true. You have all the same problems at every year. Yeah, yeah <laughs> absolutely. A, um, so you've seen, uh, the Q school process change. Did you prefer the, you know, ability to get straight to the tour or do you think this current system is better? No, I would have preferred the old one. And I, I think every player pretty much would have, uh, just kind of gives you an opportunity to, you know, I think there needs to be an opportunity to still get to the big show rather, you know, you're some hotshot kid that, thinks he can go right to the tour or some guy that maybe just barely missed his card to give him a chance to get it back. Um, you know, I don't, I, I understand why they did it, you know, for the sponsorship of the web.com tour. So, you know, obviously it, it comes down to money a lot of times, which a lot of the world does. Um, so I get why they did it, but I don't necessarily think it's a better deal. It's uh, I, I feel like it, I like the the 
the web means more now but i yeah. do i did like the idea of like everybody's got a shot to make it yeah i mean I, I, you talk about drama i mean it was some of the best drama drama in the world and you know i unfortunately was was the like the last guy that really had a q school meltdown at the end of uh you know 2012 to get back to the tour uh you know the year before i was one of the guys that got my card so i've experienced obviously both sides of it but i mean i don't i don't i've never really felt pressure like i have at q school i mean when you're obviously you know, quote unquote, playing for your job. It's you know, it's a little different animal. What uh, what what was your Q school uh, you know, drama, and then also the like the triumph. You know, give give the listeners both uh, both sides well, of the coin. Okay, well, obviously in eleven, I had some triumph because I got my, you know, I think I finished whatever T twentieth or something to get my card, and then. You know, the next year I had my tour card. Now, I ended up playing probably almost as much on the web tour. And I had won on the web tour in Panama the year. So I had I had job security, but uh, I went back to finals and I was playing really good. I think I started the last round in third or fourth place. And I shot 77, including, you know, hitting it in the water on Alcatraz and blah, blah, blah. And mm-hmm. ended up. I think I shot 77 or 78 maybe uh, and didn't get my card. So I was like the last guy that, you know, truly kind of melted down to miss his card. But actually it was fine because the next year, you know, in 13, I had my best year, you know, really in pro golf finished, I think fourth on the web tour uh, pretty much had my lock, my card locked up by March. So I'm sure that had something to do with it. I had some, you know, some inner motivation to kind of, you know, prove myself right. But it's, uh, it's, I definitely have lived all parts of golf. There's no doubt. From like a personal side, like I, the year before I, I qualified for the mid-am two years ago, I didn't, I didn't play this year because of uh, my wedding, but the year before I, I was like, I was two under on the 17th hole. Um, and I made, I finished double, double and I, I played in in Indianapolis and I had to drive, I drove home from there and it was like the worst drive of my life. You know, both, both holes I've hit in the fairway. Then the, but then the next year, it's so funny how golf works. Like the next year I'm playing and I'm just like, I wasn't really playing well. I was even par, but I was just like kind of scraping around, you know, one of those rounds. And, uh, I hit a wedge close on like the 13th hole and then all of a sudden everything clicked and I finished, I birdied that hole, but then I birdied three of my last four and like, you just make it in and it's like, you know, it's not that hard, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, but you always make it hard on yourself. It it's seems. just, it's just such a dumb game. And, you know, I mean, you just hear those stories all the time about the guy that was in such good position and fell apart. And then the guy that was, you know, four off the cut line and birdie four of his last five and then shot 66 66 and finished eight i mean it's just (laughs) such a dumb game and i don't know why we all try to figure it out you've got a uh you're one of the rare pros that has a a full-time tracker i mean (laughs) behind the big cat i mean ed lore tracker has got to be number two most followed tracker out there 
There's no doubt. And the Ed Lord tracker is definitely way more entertaining. He's the most entertaining tracker on tour. Um, you know, anything that's based more on your eating habits than your golf has got to be way more entertainment for the Twitter world. Yeah. No doubt. How did uh, the, the tracker come about? Um, it's, you know, I'll be honest with you. I've met the guy twice just for a few minutes. <laughs> I've had obviously a ton of interactions with him on text and social media. Uh, he's a, it's a left-handed guy. I will not divulge his identity, but and uh, a few years ago when I was on tour, he said, do you mind if I do this? And I said, no, man, knock it out. And I really don't, I really don't provide much information. He, you know, he, he somehow he finds it out or comes up with it on his own. So it's, uh, it's definitely, I mean, I love the loonies and, uh, it's, you know, it definitely provides some good laughter and humor on the golf course for sure. So, so you, you know, the, the tracker gives us an inside look that you're a, you're a big foodie. Where where's the if you where's the best food outside the U.S. that you've been to? Uh, outside. Yeah. Uh, outside, you know, it's hard to go wrong with a Brazilian steakhouse. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if you just need to gorge yourself to death. Um, uh, I I love. I found a couple of spots in Colombia that I just love. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'd put that pretty high up on the list. You know, as far as in the States, Lafayette, Louisiana is number one. And, it, you know, it's a long way to number two after that. That's that's coming up on the schedule here. Yeah, yeah, it's my favorite event of the year, mainly because, uh, well, I've won there. But uh, I've stayed with a, with a family for six or seven years that are from there. And, you know, they obviously know all the spots to take me. So it's just a, it's my favorite week of the year. So with the web on, like, a, you got a month layoff, what do you guys do? What do you do? Like, what's a downtime look like versus, you know, the weekend, week out grind? Yeah, well, you know, I was gone so long. I was gone 34 days. So, you know, most of mine, the last, I guess I've been on about 10 days, is really just being, a, you know, trying to be a father and a husband and try to get back into that routine. It's a little... You know, it's kind of a shock to the system when you come back, you know, because you've just been in such a selfish mode just trying to be a golfer that, you know, you kind of come back and it's, all right, we've got to get the kids up, get them to school, and, you know, then kind of get back into the routine of being a husband. So it's, uh, you know, that's kind of what it is for me. Obviously, a lot of guys are different, but, uh, and really, we've had some pretty crappy weather, so I haven't even... I've hit balls one time in 10 days, which I really was going to take, plan to take all last week off anyway, but this week I would have liked to have gotten some work done, but we're, you know, we've had like nine inches of rain in the last three days, so I haven't even, I've touched the club once since I've been home. Yeah, I I mean, balance is good. It's a, that, that's got to be something that's changed is how, you know, I imagine when you turn pro, you spend like your life gets like kind of encompassed by golf, right? There's no doubt. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously that's what you're. That's all you're trying to do, and I mean, that's all I'm still really trying to do. But now, now instead of going to the golf course, you know, at nine and 
dicking around until five. Now it's like, okay, I've got a window. My kids are at school from, you know, eight to three. All right, I got to drop them off. I got to get my workout in. You know, then I got four hours, and this is what I got to get done. So, so why it's different? I, I think it's actually better because now you can't just you know dick around, play eighteen, have lunch, not really, not really have any structure. Now you've got all right. I got an hour and a half of hit balls. Uh, you know, I got an hour of short game practice, and I'm gonna go get a quick nine in before I got to go get the kids. So it's 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 different, but I almost think it's better, especially for me, because I could, you know, I got some ADD, and so I could just get out there all day and just be like, what the hell did I just do all day? So it's, I think it's better, actually. Maybe maybe the next big fad in, in professional golf will be have triplets right before you turn pro. <laughs> no, 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 don't. <laughs> it just complicates things. But, but you know, I think that, I think that, you know, for a lot of the young guys, and obviously, like I said, I was the same way. You know, and I heard a podcast with Paul Casey a few months ago, and he was talking about it because he just had a kid. And he's like, really? I mean, you know, I know all these guys like to spend all, you know, you can get what you need to get done in four or five hours. I mean, it's not like you, you know, I think that some of the way golf's changed is guys are a lot more technically correct on a day-to-day basis. So, you know, like I don't worry about taking a week off. I actually embrace it because I know you need it. You know, whereas a long time ago, before TrackMan and and you know all the great instruction, it was well. You know, I gotta I gotta keep going, so I keep my feels. Well, now it's like, well, all right, I'm gonna get on TrackMan. All right, my swing looks the same. Well, you know, maybe there's a maybe it allows guys a little less, you know to feel like they have to be out there all day every day it's a good point like i feel like i i do better the less i hit balls now and it's like what david duvall said is like there's definitely less expectation i mean there's no doubt and you know you need you know most players that aren't you know top 10 or 15 are playing you know 25 28 weeks a year i mean you, you need some time off i mean that's a that's obviously a lot of time, you know, on the road and grinding. And, you know, it's it's okay to give yourself a break. And I think that's one thing that's helped me, you know, really stay kind of injury-free is I've never, I've never felt like that I wasn't able to take a few days off and I felt like I needed it. Yeah, I, I, I think that's one of the things, like a, a young pro – you get down to Florida or wherever you're going and you feel like, oh, this is my job. So you, you got to do like 10 hour days every day or else somebody's going to pass you by. Yeah. And then by the time you get to the tournament, you're so damn tired. All you want to do is, you know, recover. But it's, so there's definitely a balance. And, you know, maybe it, it takes some guys, you know, maybe it takes them having kids to kind of figure out that, hey, it's not, I don't have to be out there all the time. Um, so, uh, you want to do some overrated, underrated? Sure. Uh, yeah. It's, it's the fried egg staple. So, okay. I love it. Right, so you just pick one, one or the other here. Um, track man. All right. Am I allowed to say anything? Yeah, you can say it. You can, well, I you think can it's ex- underrated. I, I started, 
Yeah, I think it's underrated. I started using one. I don't have one, like, but I, I think I'm the only guy that doesn't have one anymore. But, you know, my instructors have one, and I, I love it. I, I don't get lost in the numbers, but I think it's, I think it's revolutionized the way guys teach. Why, why is it that everybody carries around TrackMan like it's like it's in its own case? It's like it's a bomb, you know? It's like a, <laughs> it's you know, it's like a lady with a Gucci purse. It's like a status symbol, but. Hell, I see guys on the mini tours. You know, I'm like, there's no money to pay twenty grand for a track man. Well, I, I don't understand why you can't just carry it within like a bigger bag. Everybody's got to <laughs> carry it around. Well, it's like the it's like the designer purse, Andy. You got to show it off. You know, <laughs> it just looks so silly because it it's so small, and it's like yeah. you're carrying this big tour bag. Like you can't put that just <laughs> into the bag. Yeah, give us a, yeah, or just put in a nondescript backpack or something. Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. so uh, you're, you're a, obviously, we aren't going to ask you about Whataburger. That's like your, your spot, huh? Yeah, yeah, that's my spot. It, it, has, have you ever had contract negotiations with Whataburger? No, I've been trying, <laughs> <laughs> honestly, but I don't, I, I think that, I don't think they sponsor like individuals, but. I'm a huge, I'm a huge Whataburger fan. I'm I'm really a fan of their breakfast. I mean, I love their burgers, but I don't eat a lot of. I prefer to make my own burgers, but I love their breakfast because, you know, let's face it, when you got a, you know, a seven o'clock tea time, I'm not gonna get up and make my own breakfast. I'm just gonna hit the Whataburger for a bob. You know, I mean, come on. So that's that's what you gotta get, Bob. I'm gonna go down. I I spent some time in Texas, but I. I only got Boiter Burger a couple times, but I'm going to yeah, be... Yeah, I get the, you know, the breakfast on a bun. I mean, it's just it's hard to beat. Number 21. <laughs> Next time you're down, try it. Um, so, uh, overrated, underrated, in and out in and out uh, it's... I love it. I think it's great. Uh, so, I'd say... Uh, I don't, well, you know, people are fanatics about it, and then people think it's way overrated, but I think it's... I, I would say it's properly rated. I think it's very good. All right, we'll we'll let you slide with the properly rated. Yeah, sorry. It's it's okay. Um, steak and Shake. Uh overrated. Yeah, I'm I'm in on that too. And then uh, what's uh what's an under what's like your under the radar purchase outside of the breakfast at Whataburger? Uh, I get the number five, the bacon cheeseburger. All right, um, and then uh, then we'll say last one. We're gonna say Springfield, Illinois. <laughs> the land of Lincoln. <laughs> well, I would definitely say Bloomington, Illinois, is overrated. I don't know about Springfield. It was. Uh, I don't know what the what is the rating on Springfield, so I can overrate it or underrate it. Well, if if you think if you think Bloomington's overrated, Springfield's <laughs> definitely <laughs> overrated. <laughs> okay, I was just throwing some shade at Mitchell there, you know. I know it's a, that's a the, we got our state am in Bloomington this year, and I I don't think I'm going to make the trip down there. It's just uh, yeah, I don't blame you. It's it, a it's just a bunch of cornfields, man. Yeah. When I was driving there from, uh, I guess we did the qualifier last year in St. Louis. So I was driving from St. Louis up there, like, man, this is, this is just one cornfield after another up here. Yeah, I went to school in Champaign for college, and 
Yeah, it's just it's all cornfield. It's a it's cornfield corn and soybeans, huh? Yeah, it's a it's a tough spot in in the summer. It gets pretty hot down there. Whoa, man, all that humidity coming off those crops. What what is the hottest place that you've you've played? Uh, like Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. <laughs> no doubt, one hundred percent. It's it's always hot there. Oh, I don't. Yeah, I just don't. I don't. Obviously, there's people that I don't know if somebody loves it, but there's people that live there. There's a lot of people that live there. But man, you can have it. <laughs> All right. Well. Uh, we'll let you go and get to your workout. Um, everybody can follow Ed on uh, Twitter. Uh, it's at Ed, Ed, Ed Lore. And then... Uh, no, no, at Biggie and Big D. Oh, shit. See? At Biggie sorry, and Big yeah. D. You know, I'm just going to yeah, cut man. that out. Because, you know, <laughs> I get the power <laughs> to do that. <laughs> and then, uh, of course, follow the uh, Ed Lore Tracker. At Ed Lore yeah. Tracker. That's, it'll, uh, be, it'll be hot here in a couple of weeks we'll do yeah. a, lot of food, a lot of food updates does does the tracker ever come on site uh he's been on site a couple of times but he he has he has an uncanny way of finding people that are there to kind of help him out <laughs> all right well good luck and uh we'll be rooting for you all right andy i appreciate it man it's fun to be on with you